Hello and welcome to the Pixel Swim Podcast, episode 42. This is the podcast where I take a dive into my personal journey through design and technology and where they meet, plus other little tidbits I find interesting. My name is Steve Heinrich, the host, uh, by myself yet again. <laughs> uh, we've all come to expect that, I suppose. But anyway, uh, this episode is being recorded on Wednesday, November 7th, and will be released on Thursday, November 8th, 2018. Visit Pixelswim.com for all of the show notes and social links. If you want to follow along as I go along here, you can find all the links in the show notes and everything. <laughs> Again, in your podcast app, you can find those show notes as well if it supports it. And yeah, uh, feel free to follow along and leave feedback after this episode on the episode page. There's a comment section and or you can email me at Steve at Pixelswim.com. And I'm also on Twitter at pixel swim all right so let's dive in like we usually do go for our pixel swim this week our 42nd pixel swim together (laughs) anyway uh so again usually i go over weekly notes feedback and links and so yeah we'll start with the feedback like we usually do uh i don't know why they call it weekly notes Uh, i usually don't have many notes but uh you know i'm gonna keep it because i do sometimes have notes anyway (laughs) So I'm going to start with the feedback. So I want to thank a few people for their feedback this week after the last episode. And I'll start with uh, Kyle Helms, who reached out via email this week and also via Twitter. He uh, shared a link to <laughs> a post on thoroughthurrit.com. Thoreau, I'm not sure. I know there's a podcast that I haven't gotten into quite yet by Paul Thoreau. I'm not sure if that's how it's pronounced. Please forgive me. I haven't listened to the podcast, so I haven't heard him say his name. But uh, Paul Thoreau on Thoreau.com, there's in a, a post called Android Without Google that uh, Kyle shared with me. And it's kind of funny because this post came out this November. And I think I have an episode entitled that's part of the title is that same exact thing, Android without Google. So thank you, Kyle, for sharing that. You know, I'll put that in the show notes as well. So you can go check that out. And also Kyle wrote me an email as well. And uh, just a few of the takeaways from it. And talking about home servers and (laughs) I've been talking about, you know, setting up my own cloud type of stuff and whether or not. I would want to do a server like in my house. And I kind of have come to the conclusion that I don't really want to do that. So just because of the <laughs> the amount of work and upkeep that that would take. So yeah, Kyle kind of reflected that. So in his email, I said, it's such a pain to get everything right. He says about home servers, and you must think about security, backups, rollovers, and a slew of other things. None of these things are cheap either. Oh, and don't forget time. Yeah, the time you have to invest in that is not going to be. Oh, yeah, that's the one thing that I don't really have a ton of right now. I have enough for this podcast, but I can't do this podcast and have a home server. So I choose the podcast (laughs) for now. So so maybe eventually I'll have time for both. But I just, you know, getting all worrying about a home server and having to manage that is not something that I want to put on my plate right now. So. Kyle kind of agrees there. And then he also kind of mentioned, uh, because I had put out the question or the thought about whether, you know, like the difference kind of between Microsoft and Google as far as their data and privacy and stuff. And he, in this email, he kind of brought up a good point that I kind of, it's one of those, I, you know, I, 
it brings a tiny bit of comfort, <laughs> just a little bit as far as using Microsoft, I should say, over Google. Uh, it, although I'll get more into this later, but he basically says that Google makes around 90% of its money from ads. They are an ad company. Microsoft sells me services. Uh, and that's the end of his the quote that I pulled out of there. And so essentially, this gets me kind of that's you know that's kind of what i've been trying to get at with google is they provide all of these these services uh, a lot of free services that are essentially to help boost their their ad their relevant their ad revenue uh by way of sort of relevance by using your data to more accurately quote unquote accurately target ads to you so yeah, I mean, and then Microsoft, on the other hand, is more of a services company. I know they have Bing and Bing ads and all that stuff, but this kind of got me g wanting to dig a little further into their Microsoft and and Google's privacy policies, which I'll talk about in a little bit uh, near the, the main section of the show here. So I did start digging just a little bit into those, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, but th thanks, Kyle, for reaching out, and I always enjoy emailing back and forth with him. Uh, talking with him. Uh, the next bit of feedback that I want to talk about is from Frank Needhart, who also emailed me this week after last the last episode. I have been talking about Google and their free services and all and all of those things that basically they provide all these free services and that you <laughs> you're basically your data is the product. And Frank, of course, he he mentioned that there is the option for G Suite, which is Google's paid services. So, yeah, I completely kind of forgot slash ignored that idea, uh, the idea that you could buy into G Suite. And I actually I responded to Frank and I, I in the past I have actually tried to set up a G. I tried to I signed up for G Suite kind of the trial period to use my own domain. And this was before all of the stuff that I've been thinking about as far as kind of distancing myself from Google. And yeah, so I, I wanted to to try out G Suite and because you can use your own domain, you know, basically send and receive through Gmail servers to kind of create more filtering on your email. But and, and that kind of leads me into how I have my email set up. So if you email me at steve at pixelswim.com it'll actually it's my i have my main gmail account set up to fetch those emails off of my hosting account which is where my where steve at pixelswim.com is hosted all the emails go through there so basically gmail goes out via pop and grabs the emails off the servers and brings them into gmail and it does filter out the spam it will filter out spam emails into the spam folder. And in general, I haven't noticed any emails getting through that were not supposed to be in the inbox. Very rarely does an email come through that Gmail doesn't, or a spam email rather, that Gmail doesn't push into the, the spam folder. But yeah, so I have that set up through Gmail and I have the that email set up as an alias so I can send and receive from that email address through Gmail. So I have all of my email addresses kind of plugged into my main Gmail account. That way I can just manage everything in that one inbox, which is, of course, a really great and easy way to do things. So it's kind of why I didn't stick around with the G Suite option. Uh, Frank said he had he's uh, on G Suite using his own domain name. So he basically just points the the 
email records in his DNS settings to Google and Google, you can take care of the rest through your through the Google interface uh, for his domain name as far as email goes. But also, Frank brought up a couple of questions, and I, I'll try and answer that. I answered them back to Frank in the email, but I just wanted to address them on the podcast because these are questions that are very relevant to everything I've been talking about in the past as far as getting away from Google and their services. So he says, the real question is, why are you trying to avoid not using Google services? In what way does Google misuse your data? And yeah, this is the question, um, and I'm sure there's plenty more people out people out there that could probably answer it way better than I can, uh, as far as factually what Google is doing right now with people's data. And so, really, for me, just based on some of the behavior that I've seen from Google, and I've talked just a bit about it on this podcast about them signing people into Chrome and and that whole debacle. I just there, you know, kind of gets me looking closer at Google and I and in the past they've talked about uh, I've seen I don't remember where exactly, but there's there was articles about Google employees actually kind of protesting against uh, not the the recent protests about the sexual allegations, but the in the past in the past year, I think it was uh, about Google working with the U.S. military on drones and 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 stuff like that and so <laughs> and this is kind of where the conspiracy theorist in me comes and uh, really my biggest concern about all this data stuff is just the the paranoia and maybe it's not paranoia I don't know but I have to call it paranoia because I'm not sure if any of it's true and I you know I haven't dug deep into it enough to know if any of it's true or not but I just I kind of have the belief that Google and the, the <laughs> it's going to sound crazy coming out, but Google working with any sort of government or, you know, the that that's the other thing, too, is Google was working with the Chinese government to get a version of their search engine over there. And I kind of get a bad <laughs> I just get a bad feeling about Google and the overall surveillance state of the world that we're living in, especially in the US here as the years kind of go by, I just become my my trust in any of the government entities kind of starts to waver, knowing how much they can access about everyday citizens. And and of course, being one of them, (laughs) I kind of it makes me weary about all of that. And yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, if you want to be into tech, and you want to take advantage of all these services that sort of help your life and and structure and organize your life like email and contacts and calendars and photos and and videos and and all of that stuff and and you know documents and just really the the a whole office kind of suite like Google has with their sheets and and docs and slides and you know of course Microsoft has their own office software online and just this to be into this whole world, you kind of have to, it's like understanding what all of that means as far as the amount of data that you're putting into the system and then the amount of data that you kind of know is being collected, but you can't really see. And just kind of how that all plays into, oh man, I mean, I mean, if you, the thing is, is if you think about it, just imagine what it would mean for 
any government to have access to all of that and what that can mean as far as the flow of information and what they know about you and what, you know, the things because we have our smartphones in our homes and, and, and all of this technology in our homes and with us at all times. So essentially putting tracking devices on ourselves. And yeah, maybe, like I said, maybe it's paranoia, but I, I, my, my first instinct is to not trust and to question things before it is to just blindly follow. And so bringing it into kind of a worst case scenario I am paranoid that the government, any government, our, the U.S. government, any government for that matter, is going to use this data and essentially invade privacy where people don't really realize it. And that's <laughs> maybe I'm I'm talking kind of crazy, but I, I don't know how crazy it is. And and I'm sure if you have any ideas or you think I'm nuts or you think maybe I'm onto something, <laughs> just let me know in the feedback on the show notes page or email me. Uh, it's Google's going to see it. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> Although I guess for advertising purposes, Google doesn't read your emails anymore for advertising purposes. Obviously, they still read them you know, using AI and all that stuff. But again, just, yeah. I mean, that was a really the, one of the biggest questions I think Frank posed to me and I haven't really answered on the podcast because it I don't know how it will be, how it will be perceived. And yeah, thank you, Frank, for for pointing, for asking that. Honestly, I, I know you didn't, you know, say, ask me to answer it on the air here. But I, I decided that I would just kind of put it out there. And yeah, so maybe I'll put my tinfoil hat on and just kind of draw all the shades and, and, and turn, you know, cut the cord to my to my Internet and just live off grid from now on. <laughs> OK, let's move on. Thank you, Frank, for emailing. That was really great feedback. And I always enjoy emailing back and forth with Frank as well. So. Uh, appreciate it. I want to also thank Guillermo Ortiz again for he has given feedback in the past. He gave feedback on the show notes page in the comments section. And last time I talked a little bit about my Halloween viewing, uh, the things that I watch around Halloween time. And he recommended a what he has called a really bad movie, a really bad horror movie that didn't get good ratings, but he thought, you know, it was worth a, a watch, even though it's kind of a throwaway movie called The Bye Bye Man. And I'll put a link in the show notes to that. And yeah, it's a apparently again, he just he I think he had just watched it. So he recommended it. So I appreciate Guillermo reaching out and letting me know about it. So just a real quick synopsis of the bye bye man. And I'm not sure how all this fits into the Pixel Swim podcast, but you know what? Who cares? <laughs> so the synopsis for by the bye bye man, which is a movie made in 2017 is three friends stumble upon the horrific origins of a mysterious figure they discover is the root cause of the evil behind unspeakable acts. Okay. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to try and check this out at some point. Thanks, Guillermo, for sharing this. And Guillermo also left a note on the show notes page. He says to try the Nokia 230. And this is a feature phone. Uh, he says there's no Wi-Fi, only... 2.5G connections, but it's good for detox. Otherwise, the phone has an aluminum back, a big for feature phone screen, and a selfie camera with a flash. So yeah, I'm definitely going to check out the Nokia 230. Uh, the thing about some of these Nokia 
feature phones, uh, the ones that have been made in the recent years, is that they didn't really make a lot of them for the U.S. market. So the the uh, the bands on them and the the radios on them just they don't I don't <laughs> they're not really supported much here in the U.S. So there's not a ton of feature phones to choose from, which was part of the issue that I think I was talking about with the Nokia. 8110 the uh the new banana phone and yeah that was part of the issue is that it it's not it's it's an lte device but unfortunately the the lte bands that i need are not on it so but the nokia 230 does look like a nice a nice feature phone it actually has a really solid design i mean it's got a metal back or aluminum back so definitely a an option, you know, if I really want to go, if I really want to detox and not have any, <laughs> any sort of data service <laughs> and maybe just phone calls and text, that might be, you know, something that I could look at. So, uh, thanks Guillermo for that. And, uh, also best of luck to Guillermo who is, he's, uh, starting up his own podcast. So I'm not sure if I can release any more details on it, but I just wanted to say, Good luck, Guillermo, with uh, your po- with your podcast. So he reached out for, for some advice, and uh, I'll get back to you, Guillermo, again on your uh, last email. So anyway, I just wanted to say good luck with that. All right, so the last bit of feedback is from Stu Miller, who left feedback on the show notes page. And he's kind of said he's been interested in hearing my whether what my move to Microsoft or my, you know, my potential research into moving to Microsoft uh, he's curious of how that's going to go, but he's also said that he's kind of going through a similar process of kind of moving his stuff away from Google. And I'm assuming for some of the same reasons that I've mentioned, but if there's any other reasons do let me know. He said he's moved all of his Google photos to his Amazon Prime Photos account, which he's paying for. And he's and of course, he kind of mentioned, you know, b- being Amazon, it's kind of going from the pan to the fire. And yeah, I think I agree with that. I don't trust Amazon as much as I almost trust Amazon less so than Google. And especially for some of the reasons that I mentioned earlier, as far as uh, working with the government. So with Amazon, it is a no doubter that they are working with the government. I mean, they've believe uh, they at least Jeff Bezos has contracts with the Pentagon and he owns the the Washington Post over here. So it's kind of scary. Jeff Bezos scares me a little bit. Uh, he's super jacked as far as he looks like he spends half the day in the gym and the other half crushing small business. So he's definitely got that uh, evil looking person thing going for him. <laughs> I mean, he almost literally could play Lex Luthor, I think, in a, in a Superman movie. But anyway... Stu, he's moved all his photos, but I guess it was a kind of a difficult task getting all of his Google photos out of Google photos and into Amazon Prime photos. So essentially, he had to back all of his photos up to Google Drive first. And then he in order, he had to do that in order to export them in a zip file, but it would only zip a thousand of his photos at a time. So it took him a while. And he says, even then, he's not sure if he got everything, (laughs) which, yeah, I know what you mean, Stu, because my photos are kind of all over the place. And I responded to Stu about this on the show notes page. But essentially, over the last, what, 10 years since I've been uh, using an Android smartphone and, uh, you know, using Windows phone 
bones. <laughs> I've been backing up into, well, at first it was Picasa when I first started on Android, which then became Google Photos. But I also, when I in my Windows Phone time, also backed up to OneDrive and eventually backed up into both at the same time. Sometimes it would, <laughs> depending, because I've had so many different devices, sometimes I would, you know, dual back up into Google Photos and OneDrive. And then sometimes it would be just OneDrive. Sometimes it would be just Google Photos. So my photos are scattered and duplicated all over the place and all over the place. I mean, in those two places. And now I've got I still have my next cloud connected to my Android phone now. So they're being backed up there. So I'm essentially thinking of just wanting to use OneDrive, even though it's a lot slower. It's just I mean, that's the thing about the, the Google services is they're really great and load fast. And they've you know, they've figured it out. Google knows how to do it, you know. And the OneDrive app is super slow, no matter what device you're using it on. I would swear that, you know, Microsoft being, you know, a big time software company, they could figure it out and figure out ways to cache those images, not have to load them so often. But yeah, so I'll probably be getting it just keeping everything in OneDrive as much as I can. And that's a process I'll have to go through with my Google Photos at some point. And I'm sure I can pare them down before I start that. But it's something that I'll I'll eventually have to to do because <laughs> I, I I think you know in, an end game thing here is that I would like to kind of abandon not abandon my Google account but kind of put it into archive mode you know still have my my Gmail account but just kind of keep it for if I need to search an old email or something like that. And that's it. You know, everything else is moved out of there. But we shall see. But Stu also said he's kind of making a slow switch for with his email uh, from Gmail to iCloud. So he has used an iPhone and it works well. iCloud works well on his Android device via the Blue Mail app, which I, I've tested that one out in the past. It's a nice email app on Android. I'm guessing Stu has to just put in all of the server settings for his iCloud account. So, and he kind of he said, you know, he's not really looking at transferring his Gmail account necessarily, moving all his email over to iCloud, just kind of starting fresh over in his iCloud account. So, and that's kind of how I'm looking at that. That's part of why I said I'd just leave all my Gmail where it is, you know, and start pushing or changing all of my subscriptions or my automated emails to my Outlook account. So and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because I'm keep talking about how I'm going to Microsoft, you know, but I, I, I think I am. But I'll talk about a little bit more about that in a little bit. So thank you, Stu, for reaching out again and appreciate the feedback. All right. So let's share some links here. I've got a few to share. The first one is on artsy.net. <laughs> which I, that might as well be my domain. I'm so artsy. Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so it's called the the article is, is by Gabrielle Hick, and it is called The Little Known Reason Pencils Are Yellow. And I'm not going to tell you the little known reason why pencils are yellow. I'm going to help drive some traffic to this website. But it's definitely an interesting read. I definitely suggest checking it out. Definitely <laughs> say definitely a lot on the show anyway. Yeah. So again, it's called the little known reason 
pencils are yellow. And I thought it was, again, an interesting read. Check that out in the show notes. It's not going to go over that too much, but I've got another link to share. And it's actually related to Outlook.com. And again, I'm going to talk more about potentially moving all my stuff over to Outlook.com. But it's uh, on Gizmodo by David Neal. And it's called, and this is a total... Uh, I mean, it's not super clickbaity title, but it's, you know, it's got that all the, the makings of kind of a clickbaity title. But either way, it's called Nine Cool Tricks for Out- Nine Cool Tricks for Outlook.com that you can't do in Gmail. Sucker. OK, I just added the sucker, but <laughs> OK, I'm going to stop doing stuff like that anyway. So it goes over nine different things that you can do in Outlook.com, the web app not the phone app, the the app on the web. So accessing your email on the web that you can do that Gmail cannot do. And there are some things on this list that Gmail has sort of a version of, but he kind of explains why it's not exactly the same in Outlook.com and why it's kind of a little bit better in Outlook.com. So I'm going to read the nine headings. I won't go into the details uh, that they that he puts under each heading, but this way it'll give you a little idea of the things that Outlook.com on the web can do that you can't necessarily do in Gmail. So he says there are tons of things that Gmail can do that Outlook.com can't do, but that's not what this article is for. This is specifically just for those things that Outlook.com can do <laughs> that Gmail cannot. So I think I've said that about five times. So let's move on. Number one is pin emails to the top. Yep, you can do that in your inbox in Outlook.com. Pin an email right to the top of the list, which is really nice. Uh, Number two, easily drop GIFs straight into messages. So yeah, if you've used any sort of modern messaging, you know that our messaging on your phone uh, in Gboard and in other applications are adding a lot. Any sort of messaging application seems to be adding in like an animated GIF option to put in Usually funny animated GIFs. Um, Obviously, they try and cover the gamut of human emotion, but that's essentially what most people use it for is funny animated GIFs. So you can do that in Outlook. There's an option to do that. Uh, Number three, change the conversation order. Basically kind of talks about how you can sort the messages differently than Gmail uh, than you can in Gmail. Number four is sweep away your emails. So yeah, Outlook.com, they've had, I believe they've had this feature for a little while where you can, well, it's an option to sweep emails into different things. It's kind of like creating filters in Gmail, but it's a little bit easier. Number five is quickly filter emails. And one of the biggest things he talks about here, and I know I wasn't going to go into too much detail, but basically one of the biggest things is you can sort by size, email size, which is something you can't necessarily do in gmail you can look up sizes a certain size in gmail but you can't necessarily sort by email size but anyway number six is go dark and this one's a little bit controversial basically he's talking about the new dark mode in outlook.com and yeah it actually looks really nice and this is gonna (laughs) say this is just a side note i am a weird, weird person, uh, I think, because I'm about to say this, I like dark modes, don't get me wrong. But I actually on Windows 10, 
and in outlook.com prefer the white <laughs> i prefer the light mode uh i know it's kind of weird but um i'm not so weird that i use light mode on say a windows 10 mobile device or a windows phone 8.1 device i still use dark mode on those because that's a little bit different but i actually kind of prefer the light mode on windows 10 and in outlook.com that's just me I know lots of people love dark modes and yeah, they are pretty nice. I, the new dark mode in the YouTube app on my Android device is, yeah, it's pretty nice. You know, I, I still kind of like <laughs> the lighter mode a little bit better. There's there's certain things that I do like the a dark mode, but it's not everything. Um, I'm kind of finding that interfaces with lots of information and lots of text I don't I like a light mode. It's just my preference. It, it my brain processes it a lot easier. So and uh, the controversy with saying outlook.com has a dark mode and Gmail doesn't. Gmail kind of has a dark mode. They don't have a dark mode on emails themselves. Uh, I know that for sure. But you can do make most of the interface on Gmail dark, but Anyway, number seven is edit office documents. So I guess you can edit office documents within Outlook.com a little easier than you can in Gmail. I haven't tested that out, so uh, you can read a little bit more of the description in this article via the show notes. Number eight is read your emails distraction-free. And I didn't know this was actually part of Outlook.com, is there is a distraction-free mode for your emails, which is really cool. Uh, it's basically a full screen mode that if you've used uh, Microsoft Edge on Windows 10 or um, I think Microsoft Edge cross platform, not sure, but they have a distraction free mode where basically it just breaks everything down to just the main content of the page, the main text of the page. So you can read it without any other sort of UI elements on the page, making it a little easier to go over and view uh, all the relevant content that you're actually trying to read. And so they've done the same thing with your emails in Outlook.com on the web is you can open them kind of in a full screen mode and just read the text of the email without having to look at anything else. And it's got a bunch of features to customize the look of the distraction free mode. But I've already said too much. Anyway, the last one on the list is install number nine is install more add ons. So this is something that Gmail is kind of brought into into their new web design or the design of Gmail on the web. They're kind of adding more and more add ons. And I think they kind of house most of them in the the right sidebar in Gmail now. But I Outlook.com actually has a ton of add-ons that you can use. Uh, most of them seem pretty business-related, so I wouldn't get too excited. <laughs> I think out of the box right now, because I hadn't really checked in to see which add-ons I have, they kind of enable PayPal, a PayPal add-on, and uh, I believe like a Pocket add-on or something like that. But yeah, there's a bunch more um, that you can that you can add on to Outlook to add functionality to your emails to kind of input content into your emails. So they mention in this article Trello, which is like a project management app, Dropbox, Boomerang, and Yelp. So there's tons of other things you can add on to Outlook.com. 
And actually, I did check in the Outlook app on Android, and there are other certain things, I guess, that are mobile-specific that you can add on in the Android app. So, yeah, you can. there's tons of add-ons for Outlook.com, which is really nice. But, yeah, check out the show notes for this Gizmodo article, post, whatever you want to call it, for the nine cool tricks for Outlook.com that you can't do in Gmail. Take that, Gmail. Anyway, <laughs> so I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, because usually you see the th- Gmail is an amazing web app, even though I'm not a huge fan of the redesign. Uh, it's a lot slower and clunkier. I wish I could just every time I switch it back to the old interface, which I can't do on my personal free one anymore. I yeah, I miss it. I miss the old Gmail <laughs> interface. It's so much faster. Uh, the new one, I feel like it gets in the way and and it's buggier still still buggier than the old one so anyway check that out in the show notes all right so the last link that i'll share and uh many of you will probably have already seen this but this is to an all about windows phone article uh, by steve litchfield and it's one of his camera head to head articles the lumia 950 naturally uh, sometimes he does the 950, 950 XL. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> you're going to get a 950 in one form factor or another versus another camera. In this case, he faced off versus the Google Pixel 3. So I put a link in the show notes to that, even though, like I said, most of you have probably already visited that and, and checked out the comparison. But I just wanted to put a link to it because there was one test in that specifically where I thought that the Lumia 950 ran away with it with a win. And it was test number three, which is entitled Extreme HDR. And it's the the sheep photo, the photo of the sheep in the field. And if you do, and I'm, I like the pixel peeping uh, article. I like uh, seeing the, the processing of a camera. So, But even on the full-size images of these, I thought, the 950 did a better job. But anyway, uh, Steve was very generous and gave the Pixel 3 nine points. But if you do the pixel peeping on these sheep, I personally think he was very generous to the Google Pixel 3. But And he gave, uh, gave the 950 10 points and the Pixel 3 nine points. And honestly, I think the 950 could get 10. And I think the Pixel 3 should have gotten about five or four on this. (laughs) The processing is crazy. So, yeah, I mean, that's how they're doing it a lot on these new phone cameras uh, over processing. And and honestly, it just seems like they they're doing this computational processing, computational photography. And it just really seems like they've (laughs) they're just running these photos through Snapseed after you take them. That's kind of what it feels like. And I know there's a lot going on behind the scenes, but it just seems like, hey, instead of you having to to go into Snapseed to make these photos, we'll just do it for you. And again, like I know that's that's oversimplifying everything that's going on. But um, I do like the especially in test number three, I I like the sheep photo way better way more natural looking on the 950 but these are always kind of controversial (laughs) articles and i love you know sometimes the best part of these camera head-to-heads on all about windows phone is the comment section and and there's a lot of spirited conversation that usually goes on in the comment section which i love reading through i usually don't have much to contribute to it because i'm not too adept to mobile photography so as much as I've read and much as I've gone through, 
these camera head to heads and listen to podcasts, people talking about the cameras, I still just haven't quite gotten into it yet. But either way, check out the link in the show notes to this all about Windows Phone post by Steve Lichfield. So this, again, another head to head camera head to head, always fun to go through these. All right, so those are all the links and feedback for this week. Uh, I have a couple of things to talk about in kind of the main section of the show here. I don't know how much time I will put into them since I'm already pushing my time limit here. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I, I'm going to go back to this probably quite a bit lately because I am still trying to figure out a lot of things. And I talked last week about figuring out a data roadmap and what I'm kind of looking into to transfer my data away from Google for all the reasons I've mentioned already. I'm not going to go over <laughs> go over it again and again. So taking in all of the thoughts and things this last week, I kind of decided that I, you know, trying to figure out the privacy and data stuff of Microsoft versus Google, because I wanted to use Microsoft. I kind of wanted to switch to Microsoft and their products because I am paying for the Office 365 subscription, which means I get Outlook.com premium for free. Well, not for free. (laughs) It's part of the subscription and a terabyte of OneDrive storage. Hence why I was talking earlier about moving everything over to OneDrive, all my photos and stuff. And it's you just get all these nice features for the subscription fee. And, oh, you know, and you get all of Office, <laughs> the Office suite, <laughs> uh, which is really the the main in when you're going to sign up for this service. So right now, I think I pay every year for the office 365 personal so basically it's it's the there's another tier where it's like office 365 i think home where you can have more accounts on that but right now i just have the personal account and then i install office on my laptop and my wife's laptop so it then it's all working so (laughs) don't tell anybody anyway i don't know if that's uh what you're supposed to do anyway so yeah, I'm paying for the 70 bucks a year for the Office 365 personal subscription, which comes with everything I, that I just said. So I was hoping that I could just move every I'll move my digital life over to Microsoft since I've already paying for a subscription and getting all this stuff that I'm not really utilizing very much. And so I wanted to start looking into the data and privacy policies of Microsoft and Google which this <laughs> this might be uh, the rabbit hole of all rabbit holes to go down. So I'm going to put links to the main pages for the privacy and terms for both Microsoft and Google. And I'll just say, and this is totally surface level and, and, and shallow, but I, I like Microsoft's page better. <laughs> They've got some, some animated GIFs on there that are kind of, Kind of cute and funny. But anyway, so I just started reading through some of the main pages or the main page of each uh, of each Microsoft and Google's privacy policy. So one of the things that stood out to me on Microsoft's privacy page is uh, regarding ads and the data they collect to show you more interesting ads, quote unquote. It says we don't use what you say in email chat, video calls, or voicemail, or your documents, photos, or other personal files to target ads to you. So, and this isn't something that I could find directly 
in Google's privacy policy yet. Uh, like I said, this is I was saying this is the the rabbit hole of all rabbit holes <laughs> is because there's tons of links on these pages to to settings and different information on specific types of data and private and different other policies and statements about their privacy policy. So it's a difficult thing to go through all of this and understand. Now, my initial impression is that these front pages are definitely kind of definitely kind of those are that's <laughs> that doesn't work. But either way, they these pages are far there's it there's clearly a marketing aspect to these pages you know and we we're doing no wrong you know kind of a thing so and if you start clicking into the links a little bit more eventually it starts to get into the things that say stuff like you know we we take some services we need the data or you can't use it and that's just how it is you know kind of a thing and that's kind of i got to that through my you know one of the microsoft links i couldn't even tell you but I will say that the all of the Microsoft policies and all of the information they provide is far more transparent than Google's. <laughs> Just as far as they're very upfront with everything that they're collecting, and and yeah, Google's is is like that too. But and and both of them actually link to sections in your say either your Microsoft account or your Google account to manage all of these privacy settings and this is something actually that Kyle Kyle Helms um, in the email that he sent this week kind of mentioned as well is that more and more he says he's seeing that Microsoft as far as data and, and privacy over the years the, the things that he's been seeing are more about how Microsoft is becoming more transparent with their privacy policies and all of their settings and giving you more control over you know, the toggles for turning certain things on and off. And yeah, in Windows 10, that's definitely, I, I was checking out the privacy stuff in Windows 10. Everything's pretty straightforward. There's a few kind of funny little, I'm sure, intentional UI elements that they've kind of made the toggles a little bit harder to turn, you know, a little less obvious to turn on and off, but by kind of hiding them behind buttons, yeah, hiding a toggle behind a button <laughs> is kind of a weird thing. I, I mean, I know they just don't, they don't want you to turn it off, but either way, going through these privacy and terms for each company are really a pain. You know, it's a pain to get through all this stuff and to really kind of understand the nuance of what they're saying. Um, one of my biggest things with the Google privacy policy that I've kind of come across in some of the stuff I've been reading is when they say data across Google services uh, the, the that they'll collect and, you know, data. I, I don't know how to put it specifically, but basically they're very vague about which Google products basically <laughs> it's essentially one of those. We're collecting data through every you through everything, everything Google offers and that you use that's running on a Google server, we're, we're, we're going to be collecting data on you. And I'm pretty sure that it's sort of the same for Microsoft, but it just seems the language in, in Google's privacy policy is a little more vague. And of course, I mean, the main thing that they kind of point out in these policies is that they, they're using your data to build better services but I think the thing that 
they neglect to say is services for who? <laughs> for you? <laughs> or for third parties? I don't know. Either way, I'm going to put links to these. It's it's worth kind of taking a look through at least the main page on each of these policies just because I'm I'm trying to become more familiar with them and you know I I'm, I keep saying that I want to move my stuff into Microsoft and try out Microsoft's ecosystem you know as far as like email and photos and contacts and calendars and and search and all of that stuff but at the end of the day it's still Microsoft's still you know a for profit company that's probably going to collect your data for things that you don't want <laughs> at the end of the day you know and and so that's kind of where i'm at with these privacy policies i'm going to keep looking through them just because they are interesting uh they're so multifaceted that it's difficult to kind of keep track of where you are because each service almost has its own thing and so it's it's the these these main pages that I'll put links to are kind of the jumping off point and to, to keep track of everything and where you are and what what's for what it's it's difficult. And I think that's there's probably something intentional to that, but I think they're also trying to cover every single base, too. So uh, one interesting thing about the Microsoft data is they actually provide some information on law enforcement requests and so they have a whole report uh, up to date. Well, not quite up to date. It has January through June of 2018. It literally lists how many requests they've received by law enforcement <laughs> for Google, for not Google, Microsoft accounts. And it really breaks down the data pretty clearly. And I think, you know, <laughs> and that, that's one of the things you kind of worry about is... Not that, you know, not that I'm doing like nefarious things online, you know, with my accounts and stuff like that. I just want to know that I can trust the company that is hosting all of these things and, and Microsoft in this case. But ultimately, it's not good to put all your trust into a company, you know, I mean, though, though <laughs> I think Kyle, <clears throat> Kyle Helms actually also said this, too. And I think he said this via Twitter. Uh, direct message that all all tech companies will screw you over eventually. <laughs> Let's let that be the lesson for the day. And I think ultimately that's kind of the paranoia and what it comes down to is who who do you want to be screwed by? <laughs> anyway, so I I'm still I'm still kind of looking at going with Microsoft and kind of moving everything over there. And getting, my, you know, when my wife is done with school, I will move her stuff over there, too. And we can kind of share the subscription and have all of our stuff backed up to one place. I'll I'll do the the home subscription, which I think goes up to one hundred dollars a year. And so we can, you know, have a nice shared account on everything on Microsoft. But again, it's it, you know, I just. I'm not 100% sure. I just don't want to. There's no good way, right? I feel like to get away from these third-party services. But for now, I'm kind of leaning Microsoft in case I haven't mentioned it 800 times in this podcast. But which kind of leads me into the fact that I'm, I'm if I do that, if I go the Microsoft route, I will be, and I've talked about this in the past, I'll be 
Microsofting my Android phone. So, and I, I, you know, I kind of been looking at the Microsoft launcher a little closer and all the features of it. And it's a really nice launcher. And the one thing that I noticed is I signed in with my Outlook, or I, I downloaded the Outlook app onto Android and signed in and noticed that the contacts don't weren't synced to the Android system contacts section. <laughs> so you can't see them in the contacts app on the phone. I'm not sure if it's just me or not, but uh, something I'm gonna have to investigate a little bit further as I look at getting all the Microsoft stuff up and going. And I'm not going to do it all very quickly. You know, I'm just kind of testing the waters with Microsoft. And, you know, who knows, maybe I'll try it all out and something won't work out. And who knows? I just <laughs> for now, that's kind of my my roadmap is to transfer everything over to Microsoft and start using it instead of Google. But anyway, I'm I'm really beating a dead horse with all of this getting my data away from Google and stuff like that. I've talked about it a lot over the time, but you know, it's on my mind quite a bit. Uh, and it's not an easy process because there's so many options out there and so many things to, to consider. And I just really, this, <laughs> I'm kind of using the podcast to kind of help me see it through, you know, to kind of, to, to sort it out and, and use this as an outlet for kind of helping me to make a decision and, and keep me, you know, moving on these, on this. Otherwise, I'll just sit on the idea and never implement it. So uh, with that said, any, all the feedback everybody's provided on the topic has been great. And hopefully I can talk about other stuff <laughs> too. I've kind of made this the made main topic for me over the past few weeks and uh, appreciate everybody bearing with me as I kind of sort it out and hopefully I can get back to talking about more design stuff and more phones, but I've really been happy with my LG G6. So I haven't had a ton of phone talk to talk about, unfortunately. <laughs> um, maybe I'll go a little bit more in depth with the HTC 8X that I have been trying to figure out a way to get Windows Phone 8.1 onto. It's on Windows Phone 8, but Anyway, let's wrap this up. I think I'm pushing my time here. But as usual, thanks for tuning in to the Pixel Swim podcast episode 42. Thank you for all your feedback. If you want to leave more feedback for this episode or any past episode, you can go to pixelswim.com. Uh, every episode has its own show notes page with a comment section, or you can email me, steve at pixelswim.com, or on Twitter, or Google Plus, or MeWe. And all those links are on pixelswim.com too. So uh, thank you again for tuning in. I know I said that already, but anyway, have a great night or evening or high tea or again, fourth meal, which I've brought up in the past. Have a good fourth meal, everybody. Thanks again and Godspeed. <laughs>